First of all, you have to remember, we have sued Trump about 40 times, or his administration, I should say. For better or worse, you know, we will continue to sue them on a variety of actions, and we will protect our core values, you know, human rights, protecting our climate. Our attorney general has a very good track record. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Three Things. I'm James Glaive, your host, with another plain language conversation about the leading energy solutions to climate change. Let's meet today's guest. So my name is Bob Weisenmuller, and I'm chair of the California Energy Commission. Now, as chair of the California Energy Commission, Bob Weisenmuller oversees an agency that is responsible for energy policy and planning um, of a state that is home to about 39 million people. California is not only a massive economic power, it's the fifth largest economy in the world, actually. It also happens to be a global clean energy and climate action leader. Uh, the state leads America on a whole range of fronts, building energy efficiency, electric vehicles, uh, battery storage, and renewable electricity. It's on track to meet its goal to be 30% powered by renewable electricity by 2020 and 50% by 2030. I sat down with the chairman in early September at the Global Climate Action Summit in San Francisco, and a few days previously, Governor Brown had just signed SB 100 into law. That new law legislates that the state's electricity grid must reach 100 uh, percent carbon-free uh, by 2045. So that was big news, but the governor also issued an executive order that same day that requires the state to reach overall carbon neutrality by 2045. So that's more than just electricity, that's everything. That is, hands down, the most ambitious energy-related climate commitment by any leader anywhere in the world. And my guest today, Bob Weisenmiller, chairs the state agency charged with making it happen. Bob, why has the governor made climate and clean energy such a strong political priority? We in California know that we are now facing the impacts of a changing climate. And so the governor in his statements for both of those indicated that while neither of these will be easy, uh, that it, they are essential to deal with the realities of changing climate. Your work to decarbonize the electricity grids is well underway, of course, uh, so that doesn't seem such so far-fetched, but the other commitment to decarbonize the whole economy, or to reach carbon neutrality, I should say, that seems like quite a tall order. Do you have a sense of how you're going to follow through on that commitment? Well, certainly on the SB 100, the governor's indicated that part of the notion is we will build off of the process we ha now have in place we do what we call integrated resource planning, which is a technical term, but the notion is to look at what we need and looking at the options, and then to put those together into a portfolio, which maintains the reliability of the grid, uh, reduces greenhouse gas emissions, and does that in the least cost approach. And so it'll, we will look at a variety of options as we move forward, so as we transition off of natural gas to 100% renewable, we will look at the various options to maintain the reliability of the grid, which obviously will change over time. 
And, you know, we have a set of options now. And as we go forward, uh, we hope to have more and more options. And just to clarify for our listeners, by reliability, you're referring to technologies such as storage that we can use to balance out variable output of uh, renewable electricity sources. Yes. No, I mean, again, the, the reality is our climate is changing now. Uh, if you look in California, you know, this is the second year in a row we've had the worst wildfire in our history. Uh, you know, we're really talking about billions of dollars of expenses. We're talking about deaths. So that when you look at our changing climate, it's clear that it's not sufficient to continue status quo. And instead, instead we need to act now to address these threats. And again, as you go forward, we will maintain a reliable grid. You know, we will, as we go forward, certainly make some mistakes. Uh, but we will do it in a way that we can take corrective action when we need to. So you have just over 25 years, again, to make this shift to 100% renewable electricity. By my math, between the natural gas and the nuclear power on the California grid today, you have about 45 gigawatts of electricity that you need to swap out. And of course, by 2045, you'll have another, oh, eight and a half million people or so uh, in California. That is a lot of electricity that you're going to have to come up with. Well, what and, and indeed, when you look at it, you know, you, you talked about some of the things. We, we do forecast of what we need, and it's very interesting looking at the resource mix. I mean, just for context again, where, first of all, we're putting a lot of options behind people's meters. You know, in 2020, we will require rooftop solar, um, and that should reduce the load on the electric grid. At the same time, we're putting in, you know, we're putting in a lot of zero emission vehicles. So that will tend to drive loads up. And at the same time, the climate is changing. It's becoming warmer. Uh, we will have more extreme heat days. We're probably gonna have more people do air conditioning. So that will drive up loads. So we have these different effects, but looking forward, you know, the, the thing that we know we can do, we already have in our system, 32% of our power comes from renewables. Right, and again, that number is, is rising steadily, right? If you look at the commitments the utilities have made going forward, uh, you know, they will certainly push that number up to, say, about 40% by 2020. Uh, our trajectory is to get to about 60% by 2030 right now. And uh, and at the same time, we have a pretty narrow definition of renewables. We do not include large hydro. If you include it large hydro, and of course some years it rains and some years it's dry, but that's about another 20%. So that says that getting from here to roughly 80% total you know, by 2030 is quote-unquote easy. The next question you run into uh, and what we're finding from those commitments, I should say, on the portfolio, is that, you know, renewable costs are coming down. Uh, solar costs are coming down dramatically. Wind costs are coming down dramatically. So as we go forward, we anticipate, again, you know, the procurement part will be relatively easy. 
the issues that, that we are dealing with in part is, you know, first, obviously, the sun doesn't shine at night. And the other is that you get lots of solar in the afternoon. But, of course, you can save that solar into the evening hours. Well, you, you can with storage. And so the question is how much storage. Right now, we curtail some of that solar some points of the year, solar and wind. And by curtail, of course, you mean actually dumping that electricity off the grid. That's correct. And, and some of that renewable, some of that solar and wind, we are exchanging with other states. We, we call it the energy imbalance market. It's a pretty technical term. But what that says is in the last 10 minutes, you look at how much your loads are and how much your power is, and it's probably not exactly what you thought either one of them was going to be. So you have, quote-unquote, an imbalance, and you can trade that imbalance. If you have more power than you need, you try to find your neighbor that has less power gotcha. than they need, gotcha. and you trade it. Much of the Western U.S. is part of that package. And so far, it's saved you know, about $400 million. I want to get back to what you said a moment ago about the backside of the meter. That, to be clear, is everything uh, that the household owner is in charge of. You mentioned rooftop solar. What are the opportunities around really driving down energy or electricity demand through super efficient building practices, net zero energy ready building codes and so forth? Well, certainly we've been doing building standards since 1977. We've been doing those from the time when Governor Brown was the youngest governor in California history. I actually worked with him at that point when I was a little bit younger, too. Uh, we've been updating it. So in terms of energy efficiency, we've driven the needle pretty hard. You know, now, again, there's new technology all the time. Costs are changing, a variety of things. But built, the existing buildings in California are built pretty tight. But to be clear, you're not requiring a net zero energy ready buildings or set a target for them. We, we basically have stepped back from that. We're putting a couple kilowatts on new construction. If we'd gone to, you know, net zero, it would have been four times larger, which would have meant we would be pushing back into the grid for a lot of power at different stages. So it's one thing to save electricity uh, used in the building, it's a little more complicated if we try to produce power for the grid. Let's go back to transportation for a second. Obviously, California has an enormous number of electric vehicles on the roads, more than any other state by a wide margin, and probably the second highest adoption rate in the world after Norway. So I'm just curious, how much has that improved the situation? How much are your transportation emissions declining? Um, obviously, that's going to be a very big piece of the governor's commitment to carbon neutrality is solving that. 50% of our greenhouse gas emissions come from transportation. 40% from vehicles and 10% from producing and refining. Now, power is 16%. Uh, it's gone down, you know, it's dropped about 4%, you know, in the last few years from under Governor Brown. But at the same time, transportation numbers gone up. So, you know, our climate issues are driven by concerns about greenhouse gas emissions, which means that to the extent, as the governor says, our existential challenge is climate change, then I have to worry about not just power, but how do I get greenhouse gas emissions down? 
And the, the secret is a lot of that is in the transportation sector. And so a lot of that comes from zero emission, or a lot of the solution is zero emission vehicles. Suddenly you get to the second part of the governor's initiative, which was to say that, hey, wait a minute, our real goal is to get to net zero. And carbon neutrality, you know, when you look at that, you start saying, well, you know, we used to be able to, to have a lot of our carbon stored in forest. Well, now we're having, the, the fires, we're having it coming out again. Right, because to reach carbon neutrality, you aren't just going to be reducing the greenhouse gases from energy production and use. You're going to actually have to take carbon out of the atmosphere in some way. The governor did a state of the state, I think it was like 2014 or 15. Anyway, he said, for our, our climate program, we're going to do five things. The first thing was, we we're going to go, at that point, we were going to go to 50% renewable. We were going to double our energy efficiency. And then he said, we're going to reduce our petroleum use by 50%. And then he said, oh, by the way, there's these two other things we have to deal with. One is short-lived climate pollutants. And then he said also, for we need to deal with our natural lands and forestry. We need to not just get to, not just reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We need to, you know, basically get, start pulling greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. That's when you get into the work of uh, companies like Carbon Engineering, of course, that are working to deliver large-scale negative emissions by removing carbon dioxide directly from the atmosphere. Do you see this as part of the equation uh, for California, more so than planting trees? You know, it's essential we take these actions. They're not easy. I mean, some of these were not even known what precisely we're going to do. But, I mean, when you look at the question of, of basically sequestration, you know, a lot of us have done some research in the area of carbon capture and sequestration. Um, it's been very expensive and not, you know, not necessarily happy stories. Uh, but, you know, we continue to do research or science there. Okay, let's talk about where the money's going to come from for a second. Your cap-and-trade emissions trading system, is that a long-term sustainable source of funding? Well, there's there's actually a couple sources. So it is a cap-and-a-trade trading system. Over time, we will keep reducing the cap, and that should drive the prices up. So, I mean, so that's part of the mechanism. and, And obviously, one of the things people are doing when they buy offsets is to say, well, gee, maybe I'm going to need it two years from now, as opposed to right now. So that's one piece of the puzzle. We also, the utilities have provided a lot of funding for what we're doing in the, in the energy side. Yeah, so they are, there's like a billion dollars a year they spend on energy efficiency in California. And they're, they're, gonna, they're now on the line to spend like $900 million for putting in a charging infrastructure. I mean, it's, you know, bottom line is that there's certainly willing partners in moving forward on, on addressing climate change, and that's a key part. I think the other funding source is that from the Air Board, they have something called the Low Carbon Fuel Standard, without oh, quite getting that much into it, but it basically says we want to reduce the carbon intensity, and by the way, you know, you have to somehow pay for if you have a high carbon intensity, you have to somehow pay for that. So there's, there's another source of money. Certainly not, it's not as big as the greenhouse gas funds. It's not as big as some of the utility programs. But 
you know, the, generally the, the story of saying, yeah, you've got to, you know, it's going to take a lot of creativity here. Uh, a lot of, you know, I mean, California tends to be innovative by nature. We have a very good university system, national labs. Not to mention Silicon Valley, of course, the innovation capital of the world, really. It's driven a lot of California's prosperity. Yes. And the U.S.'s prosperity. I mean, you know, and of course the remarkable thing on, on Silicon Valley is that about 50% of the executives there are either you know, immigrants or sons or daughters of immigrants, and many, many of the employees are immigrants. That's certainly one of the reasons why you know, we have such a strong disagreement with President Trump on mm -hmm. immigration. Mm -hmm. It's right. really fueled the growth of our economy. So maybe actually they're sending their best people. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, thanks for bringing up President Trump. We've acknowledged this energy transition will be difficult. It seems like this administration is doing its damnedest to make your job even harder, adding tariffs on imported solar panels and uh, attempting to overturn California's fuel efficiency standards. Are you concerned that there's more on that front to come? First of all, you have to remember, we have sued Trump about 40 times, or his administration, I should say. For better or worse, you know, we will continue to sue them on a variety of actions, and we will protect our core values, you know, human rights, protecting our climate. Our attorney general has a very good track record. I have to wrap up now, but I usually end this show with one question. I'm going to ask it of you, Bob, um, and that is, what is the role of the average California resident or the average American or the average citizen of anywhere uh, in accelerating the energy transition? There's a couple. I mean, one thing is certainly to vote. You know, the elections are coming up, but a concerned citizenry, you know, can certainly send signals on their areas of concern. Uh, certainly... Uh, the issues on choice, you know, again, they, they have the opportunity to say, yeah, I can stay with the utility, I can encourage my local government to be more aggressive, uh, I can, you know, I'll, let me see what I can do in my house, you know, maybe I can get, you know, change the thermostat adjustment slightly up or down, you know, that's in people's hands. Uh, you know, uh, maybe I put a solar system or maybe get electric. I mean, there are so many options now that can lead one to a more sustainable lifestyle. And certainly there's, all, you know, the Energy Commission, a number of parties try to provide that information to people that they can make intelligent choices on what they can do from an energy perspective. I've been speaking with Bob Weisenmiller, chair of California's Energy Commission. Thank you for speaking with me today, Bob. Thank you. And thanks to you, our listeners. In the coming weeks, I'll be bringing you more plain language conversations on the leading energy solutions to climate change. And if you liked what you heard today, or if you have other feedback you'd like to share, please leave us a review on iTunes. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter via 3 Things Energy. Until next time, I'm James Glaive.